I have a friend named Marcus, and several years ago, back when GPS was a really new concept, he was taking a trip and he didn't really know where he was going, and so he put the GPS up on his dashboard and typed in the location. And as he was driving, getting close to the destination, this appeared on his GPS. Which, as you can imagine, creates quite a problem. To get to where they were going, there was a slight obstacle in the way. And the most direct route, obviously, was the route you would probably not want to choose. To either get out of your car and swim across or find a boat or a canoe and paddle across would look like Probably not the smartest option. You would think, okay, there's a roadblock. We need to find another route. We live in a world where peace is something we want so badly. But everywhere you look, it seems like there is unrest and anxiety and chaos. And we long so badly to live with peace. Now, not just peace and quiet, but this sense of peace deep in our soul. And so many times I think the, the route that looks the most obvious is also probably the most difficult. To, to wade into the waters, to step into the mess, looks like the most unappealing way to peace. But many times, I think it is the more difficult route that actually leads us on the path of peace. As we work through this series and talking about these fruits, last or two weeks ago, love, last week, joy, this week, peace, the purpose of these fruits is not that we would just develop these fruits in our life. But the purpose of these fruits is that these fruits are, are part of our transformation. And that Christ's likeness would grow up in us so that Christ's likeness would flow out of us. And these fruits of the Spirit would be so evident, as Paul talks about in Galatians. And so as we come to peace, I think it's important to understand, to know how to get there. We must first understand where we are going. To know how to get to peace, we must first understand where it is that we are going on this journey. The word peace comes from a Hebrew word, shalom. And the word peace is just translated simply peace, but it has more of this meaning behind it of completeness or wholeness. And I think you see a sense of peace in the garden as creation is finished and man and woman is at peace in the world. They are at peace with one another and they are at peace with God. There is this completeness, this wholeness. Things are as they should be. And along with that comes this peace. And when they talk about peace in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's usually three types of peace it's referring to. The first one is peace with God. This understanding that our relationship with 
Christ with God is right. And for us as, as followers of Jesus, we understand that Jesus stepping into this world, dying, rising, and finding our life in him is what it is that makes us right with God. The second piece is the peace of God. Now, not necessarily this peace of we want calmness and quiet, which at times if you have kids, it's what you long for, right? You long for the volume to be turned down and for things to settle down and for things to get quiet. Or if you turn on the news, you learn for the, the, the noise and the chaos to just simply calm down. But this piece is more of a deep, deep, internal, abiding peace that rests within us. And it's this easiness that comes with knowing that everything is okay. And the third type of peace is peace with one another. And as he talks about here, Paul, the fruits of the Spirit, I believe it's this peace particularly that he's referring to. The, the good news is the peace of God that we long for is a byproduct of peace with one another. And if we'll search out and seek peace with one another, the byproduct, what we get along with that, is this peace of God. And this peace with one another is something for most of us that, that we aren't really sure how to, to wade into the waters and how to jump into it. Because here, here's the deal. Almost every anxiety that you have, every sense of uneasiness, of restlessness in your, your heart and your soul is relational. Right? Almost every sense of anxiety, restlessness, hurt, pain is relational. Specifically, your relationship with creation, your relationship with yourself, your relationship with one another. And when they are at odds and when there is conflict there, where there is tension, there is uneasiness, there is anxiety, and it's really difficult at times to function. It's fascinating how much we do to medicate the problem. Self-medicate. We're not okay with just being still and being quiet. We always have to be doing something, distracting us from the bigger problem. And in a world, you know, as John said earlier, one of the wealthiest nations in the history of the world. And yet there's more depression, medication, suicide, chaos, and violence. Maybe that at any other time. And what we think is the, the source of the problem so often. Well, if we just had our needs met. If we had a better job, if we had more money, if we didn't have to worry about the bills, if we didn't have to worry about the relationship, then everything would be okay. And what we think would be the path to 
peace is let's avoid dealing with it. Let's avoid the conflict. Let's step outside of it. Let's, let's find a different way around than going through the difficult road and wading into the difficulty of the mess. Un understand, there is no path to peace. Peace is the path. There is no other way to peace than peace itself. And the word here, this idea of being a peacemaker, is something that Paul picks up on. But to understand it, you have to understand exactly what Jesus does in the cross, the full nature of the cross, stepping into this world and taking on the full weight of evil, when evil does its absolute worst to Jesus. And I shared this, this quote with you a few weeks ago. I love the, the poetry, the nuance to it. This is from N.T. Wright, and he says this. At every stage of the process, talking about Jesus' death, Judas' betrayal, Peter's denial, the trumped-up charge, the kangaroo court, the cynicism of the Jewish leader, Pilate's vacillation, cowardice, and indifference to justice, the crowd begging for blood, the mocking of the soldiers, and one at least of those crucified him alongside him. Jesus' path to his death had been marked by all kinds of evil doing its worst to him. The, the evil does the most despicable, horrific thing you can do to someone. And Jesus takes it on, not like everyone else. How does everyone else respond? They respond with revenge, with anger, with hate. And Jesus does that. He takes all of it upon himself and responds with forgiveness. Forgiving. And those words from the cross, in the midst of this pain, in the midst of this agony, in the midst of this chaos, the words from the cross, Father, forgive them, are the most countercultural against everything we know and are. Words of grace and hope. Jesus takes upon all of this and doesn't respond in kind, but instead responds with forgiveness, love, grace, and mercy. And Paul describes exactly what this does in Ephesians 2. He says, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, so the, the people who were not a part of Israel, who were Gentiles by birth and called the uncircumcised, by those who called themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so he paints this picture of these two different opposing nationalities, groups of people, 
different beliefs, different cultures, all this that, that come together. And he says, you, you were separate. You were different. And for you Gentiles, you weren't even a part of this Israel that's talked about. You, you weren't a part of God's people. There's this very um, fragmented divisiveness here in this culture, which I think relates pretty well to our world today, right? I think we see it racially, politically, economically. There are these dividing lines, these walls that we put up, where we're divided from one another. And here, here's what he says, what happened between Jew and Gentile. For he himself is our peace. So, so Jesus steps into the middle of the mess as peace. And who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we have both access to the Father by one Spirit. So, so his purpose was to step into this tension, to step into the middle and create peace through himself, through the cross, by taking upon the worst that both sides could give. By standing in the middle and saying, here, I'm joining you together. And where there was, was two Groups, where was this? There, there was this hostility, this deep-rooted hostility that you're not like us, that you don't belong to our group. He steps in between, and with the outstretched arms of the cross, he brings these two together, creating this one new humanity out of two. Jesus is the ultimate example of the peacemaker. What, what you and I are called to be as followers of Jesus. The, the ones who are willing to step into the middle of the mess and bring wholeness and completeness, that shalom to this world. And what so often looks like the quickest way to peace, to me, is to step out of the mess, not into the middle of it. To, to me, just as I step back and I look at the situation, it looks like if we'll just step back from it, then it would get better. Because when we step into it, there is the mess, there is chaos, and there is arguing, and there is fighting, and there is backbiting. But what Jesus does is he steps into the mess, but he doesn't play by the rules everyone else is playing by. He doesn't go and seek revenge. 
He doesn't respond with hate. He doesn't respond with anger. Instead, he responds with love and forgiveness and grace. And he breaks down, he breaks down the dividing wall of hostility. Bringing together these two groups, making them one. And he goes on in Ephesians chapter 3. And he talks about how marvelous, how beautiful this plan was. And he says, for this reason I call a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that you have given me. And, and the word administration here, I think, makes a little more sense to us is steward. That's what the word literally means. The steward of God's grace. What is a steward? A steward is someone who has been given something that they are responsible to take care of. And Paul uses this, this language, you are a steward of grace. Paul says, I was given this grace to steward, to take care of, to share, to pass on. That my responsibility as the follower of Jesus is to steward well the grace that was given to me. And I think we do that most beautifully when we step into the middle of the mess and we steward God's grace well there. It's not that we step outside of it and we ignore it and hope it will go away. But we step into it. And if you're like me, you hear those words, like step into the middle of the mess, and it automatically causes anxiety to start to build in my soul. Because I don't want to step into the mess. I don't want to step into the difficult conversation. I don't want to step into the conflict. I want to stand back and just hope that it gets better. But that's not the path to peace. Peace is path. And it's the path that Jesus walked to make the dividing wall, the hostility, a thing of the past. And he says that this mystery made known to me by revelation, which I have already written briefly. This mystery, this idea that it's, it's out there, it's a secret, but it's not really hidden. It, it's available, if you know. What, what is the mystery that he's talking about? The, the Gentiles are a part of this new humanity, this new Israel, this new world. And stewards, as stewards of God's grace, we are bringing that hope and healing into this world. So what is, what is it that he means by grace? Grace is a gift. And its source and origin are beyond you. Grace is when you have received and you had no part in it. You didn't deserve it. The root, source, and origin are beyond you and flow to you and are simply open to you to receive. Grace is the announcement you already possess 
that which you have been striving and in the middle of this brokenness, in the middle of this hostility, in the middle of this world that seems to be falling apart, he says Jesus steps into the middle. He steps into the mess, and he breaks down the dividing place. John says it as he begins his gospel. He says the word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. I love the way that Eugene Peterson in the message paraphrases that part of John. He says that Jesus took on flesh and blood and he moved into the neighborhood. He moved into the neighborhood to live among people. And not neighborhoods like we think of neighborhoods, where everyone has their privacy fence and their garage door opener and they pull in and they don't have to talk to anyone. But neighborhoods and communities where people know each other and they're striving for wholeness. And it's that very individualistic view of our world that we have to push back on. I was talking to someone the other day, and I, I know it was someone at our church, but I don't remember who, who said it, so I'm just going to use it as an example. But they said, you know, you watch the news, and it's so difficult because you think, we can't do anything to make a difference with this mess. There, there's fighting, there's conflict, politically, racially, economically, all over, all across the board. There's nothing that we can do to make a mess. And I would say, I, I think that's wrong. The very thing you can do is you can step into your neighborhood, the place that God has placed you. And you can be a blessing and a steward of grace right there. You can go next door to your neighbors. It, it's possible. You can go next door and knock on their door and say, hey, I'm Gary. I live next door to you. Is there anything we could pray for you for? Is there anything we could do to help you? Or if you're a good cook, ice cream maker, as Burke pointed out, Take them some food. Say, here, here's some food. One of the things that police and researchers have found is that where there is close-knit community, regardless of the economic level, the crime rate goes down. And there is less family violence, and there is less conflict, and there is less fighting. You know, a simple way to steward God's grace well? Be a good neighbor and engage the people who live next door to you. And I promise you, as you get to know them, as you get to love them, God will give you opportunities to share Jesus with them. But so many times, what scares us is stepping into the mess because we know the stress and the strain it will cost. Back in the late 90s, early 2000s, Arizona State University um, began a project called the Biosphere 2. And this is a picture of it. And they tried to develop every ecosystem in the world all within this one building. 
And they found something really interesting in this project. That the trees would grow abnormally fast, much faster than they would in their natural habitat. But as the trees grew up, they would bend and break and fall over due to the weight of the fruit they were producing. And the scientists found something fascinating in the research. That there was an environmental element that they could not recreate wind. And they couldn't imagine that wind made a difference. But what happened was the wind, as it beats against the, the trees, it strengthens them. So that the more storm and the more stress that's put on them, the more they are able to hold up under the weight of the fruit they're producing. It was the stress that gave them strength. It was the storm. And there was nothing they could do to reproduce that effect. There is nothing you can do to strengthen yourself. Like stepping into the mess. And the very thing that we want so badly is that peace that we long for. It comes not from stepping out of the mess, but it comes from stepping into it, into the middle of the storm, into the middle of the stress. And as you do, it strengthens you like nothing else can. I hate preaching sermons on things I'm not good at. But I think all of us, we have this mentality that if we'll just step outside of it, that it will get better. And the truth is, not only will it get better if we will step into it, but it will also form us more and more like Christ in the middle of the pain and the hurt and the stress. It will strengthen us. So a couple things as we go. What do we do? How do we step into the stress? How do we step into the mess? One, where my screen's not right yet. There, hey, there we go. Um, where you have wronged others, it requires repentance. Where, where you have wronged others, it requires repentance. It requires us going to someone and saying, I was wrong, I am sorry, and I would like this to get better, and I want to do everything in my power to make things better. It requires repentance. Where you have been wronged by others, it requires forgiveness. It requires us going and saying, maybe personally, maybe just in our mind, in our hearts, but saying, I'm not going to hold this over your head any longer. I'm releasing you of this. And then the third one, where others have been wrong, it requires a peacemaker. When there are the two sides, 
that are fighting, and there's hostility. It requires that Christ-likeness to step into the middle of the mess and be Jesus there. See, there is no path to peace. Peace is the path. And so as we go, I want to just give you these simple prayers to pray. Where repentance is required, our prayer is God humbled. Where forgiveness is required, it's God, please help me. And where a peacemaker is required, it's God, empower me. So let's pray. Father, help us to have the courage to step into the mess. And Father, where repentance is required, Father, humble us. Make us more like Jesus, where we don't cast the blame, where we simply say we were wrong. We messed up. We're sorry. We want things to be better. Where forgiveness is required, Father, help us to not hold on to the things that have hurt us, to those who have wronged us. Father, make us more like Christ, that we would be able to forgive as we forgive. And Father, where the peacemaker is required, empower us. Empower us with wisdom and insight and imagination. To see a world that currently does not exist. But a world that you died to create. And to form in your image. To set us free from sin. The power of sin. To redeem us. To renew us. Father, not just us individually. But Father, your good creation. Father, help us as your followers. To steward grace well, and to bring hope and healing to a world that is broken. Father, we thank you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.